PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to EM. Oh, my voice. Oh, man. Oh, that's enough. That's enough. You need to take that time out there. Uh, <laughs> What's wrong? <laughs> so this is uh, Iltafat. Let me try to scan Blake. Uh, this is uh, Iltafat Hussein, joined by my colleague here, Dr. Blake Briggs. All right, you're just going to have to do this. Yeah, I have to do this. This is too sad. You want to know what happened? Yeah, what happened to your voice? I coached my first basketball game. Oh, no joke. My seven-year-old, yes. I'm coaching his basketball team. And it was wildly entertaining. We lost by two points. (laughs) And shockingly, the kids put up 20-plus points you know, each, and I was just screaming the whole time, trying to get them all organized. It, it was hilarious. You know, it's the mask too. We're like wearing masks inside, like during the game. Don't get me. Oh, don't get me started. But <laughs> it was, uh, I was like, as the coach, can I at least put my mask down? <laughs> what's your What's your team's mascot? Oh, we don't even have a mascot. Okay, we're, we're not there yet. So, we're not there yet. No, our team name isn't even cool. It's like a sponsor of like a local animal hospital. <laughs> it's like it's like a, a Dubai jet. Oh man, I wish. No, it's we've got this like a local animal hospital sponsor. No, in all seriousness, though, it was so much fun, and uh, it was the league is great. It was a lot of fun, and uh, they do a great job. So all the all the boys had fun. I just my voice is completely gone, Doctor Briggs. I I had a shift today in my residence. Usually, I had one come up to me and just say, "You're quieter than usual, Doctor Hussein." <laughs> <laughs> What are you it's implying? Like Ted Lasso. <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> I have one of them that calls me Ted Lasso all the time. I, was like, I don't know about that. That's why. That. That's why I made the Dubai jet joke. Oh, that's what their sponsor was. They're like, "Hey, we're enough. we're a, we're a football club. Now we have to be sponsored by a Middle Eastern airline." <laughs> <laughs> oh my throat! Uh, Sorry. Uh, and the lemon tea, but doesn't work. By the way, I tried to drink lemon tea. Yeah. I don't know where people thought of this, but it doesn't work. What about honey? I always say that word. Oh, that's true. Spoonful of honey. If, you know, if I wasn't doing the whole keto thing. That's what I tell all my, oh my God. <laughs> that's what I tell all my patients. Speaking of that, a patient told me the other day, they're like, hey, by the way, I know you're checking my urine for infection, but uh, just be prepared to see ketones because I'm, I'm, I'm ketoing right now. And my best keto story was a patient who came in, was getting this huge workup, and at the tail end of it, I said, Doc, I have to admit something. It's like, what? I've really just switched over to the keto diet two days ago, and I feel terrible. I said, oh, it'd been great if you'd have told us that before. Yeah. <laughs> before the team. <laughs> Just trying to figure out what's going on. Hey, we need to let's let's get into this. Let's get yeah, into this. Yeah, hey, uh, again, welcome back to the you know, Board Bombs podcast where we actually make it fun and enjoyable, and uh, really just life pearls. And honestly, we're just taking it slow and easy. The holidays are coming up, 
and uh, it's a pretty exciting time. Uh, so if we get to sit back and enjoy the laughs and hear Iltafat's strained voice. Strained. And <laughs> strained. For each 15-minute episode, you gain high-yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. Got to plug our amazing Rapid Bombs podcast as well. Our premium podcast, EM Rapid Bombs. If you enjoy EM Board Bombs but want a TikTok version of our podcast, that's what our Rapid Bombs is for. We just hit over 170 Rapid Bomb episodes on our podcast. Each episode is just two to four minutes where we drop high-yield bombs in question-answer format so it gets seared into your memory. On average, we drop four episodes a week so you get a new podcast delivered to your feed almost daily. So remember that EM Rapid Bombs is for the person who would rather get short bursts of learning, you know, when you're driving, working out, walking the dog, spending time with family, you know, have one AirPod in, one AirPod out, you know? (laughs) Oh yeah, the one AirPod. You know, the other thing with the Rapid Bombs is we do have a trial version as well, so you can try it out for about a day, see if you like it or not, and always cancel it if you don't. Yep. But you won't cancel because you will fall in love with it. Yep, hey, something exciting to announce with the Rapid Bombs podcast is Blake and I are going to be doubling down over the next 30 to 40 days and dropping a ton of episodes to hit that magic number 200. So 200. That's going to be a lot of fun. 200. Let's We're go. excited about that. We have been furiously writing the last few weeks and just going to be pushing it out there. So it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a blitz, a board bomb blitz. blitz. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> hey, let me read the question today because I don't know if you can handle it. So no. I'm going yes. to try to help you out today. This is what teamwork's for. This is really the holiday spirit. It is. I know you're, you, know. I, you were saying beforehand you were sipping your apple cider. Just jump <laughs> into the holiday spirit here. Hey, we got a 27-year-old male presenting to the ED after a fall from the top of the house. Huh. Yeah. Odd, how do you get up there? He states he was trying to parkour from his house to the next. Oh, there we go. There you go. And he slipped on one of the shingles. Unfortunately, he is having midline neck pain and pain with palpation of his upper extremities bilaterally. He has a poor motor response in the upper extremities. The patient is now hypotensive and tachycardic. Which of the following is true regarding this type of injury? Choice A. The most common cause overall are falls. Choice B, neurogenic shock is the most common cause of hypotension in these patients. Choice C, intubation is commonly required in these patients. Choice D, steroids have been found to reduce spinal cord edema. All right, Hussein, what's the correct answer? Correct answer here is C. Intubation is commonly required in these patients. Hey, Dr. Briggs, do you know where parkour comes from? No, or what that technically is. So it originated in France. It's, uh, it's a training discipline where practitioners, they're called tresseurs, move from one place to another in a complex environment hmm. without any sort of assisting equipment. And the goal is to go the fastest you can in the most efficient way possible. So technically, while this patient felt that they were parkouring, I think fellow transurers would disagree. Did you look that up when writing the stem? No, you knew I, I looked it up while you were talking. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, thank you for doing that. 
hey, um, we got a lot to talk about today, so let's delve into it. Um, you know, a lot of you probably pick choice B, neurogenic shock is the most common cause of hypotension in these patients. And let me just tell you, if you're subscribed to our Rapid Bombs, you've been getting quite a few hard questions from me recently because I've just been upping the ante. I'm like, hey, it's cold outside, but now it's time to get a shiver up your spine Mm-mm. when you hear these questions. Hey, so traumatic spinal cord injury is a costly problem for our society. It's like millions of dollars per patient. Peak incident is in young adults, no surprise there, especially males, no surprise there, no surprise. where they make up 80% of cases. So here are the causes in order, and this is where choice A was wrong. MVC is number one cause, still in this country, right? Number two are falls. Number three is assault, specifically most likely GSWs. And then last on the list is going to be sports injuries. Sadly, alcohol plays a big role here. About 25% of these spinal injuries are associated with alcohol intoxication. And of course, underlying spinal disease can make some patients more susceptible to spinal cord injury. You know, here's hinting at our geriatric population. Mm -mm. So what are the mechanisms? The top two mechanisms of injury of the spine are going to be fractures, of course, of one or more of the bony elements. And then the other mechanism is going to be dislocation at one or more joints. Less likely, you could have severe spinal cord injury from tearing of ligaments or severe disruption or, and or herniation of intervertebral discs. This is often missed on CT, and this is where MRI plays a role. We'll get to that later. So the quick pathophysiology here, and then I'm going to let Iltifat take over about the presentation, is that you got to think about two waves of injury here. And you don't need to know the details about this, but I think it's important because it helps you frame the differences of what you see, how patients come in. And it's really important, and we're going to harp on this a lot, is that you can't just assume that the patient's deficits at the scene and in the ED are static, and they constantly are changing. They could get better. They could get worse. It just depends here. And when you're talking about the ways of injury, you're talking about primary and secondary. Primary injury is the immediate trauma effect. That's basically it. Secondary injury is any time after the initial trauma, and it's much more progressive. And this is why it's important to reassess your patients in the ED. You know, if they come in saying, okay, I have just some right arm tingling. So if they come into the ED with just right arm tingling, you know, in a trauma history, and you go back to the room an hour later, and they now have, you know, right arm numbness and motor weakness, that's concerning. And that's that progressive secondary injury. No one really knows why this happens, but it's likely ischemic in origin. And it's just evolution of that traumatic injury to the spinal cord. So it's really important that you routinely reassess your patients and understand that these injuries are not just static deficits when they come to the ED or they come from the scene. So Iltifat, why don't you talk about presentation a little bit more? Sure. Yeah, let's kind of crush through this, but there are a couple of key pearls that we're going to drop here that are important to know. So like always, you know, ABCs come first, go through it like you would any other trauma patient. Patients with spine injuries, though, they're going to have a lot of problems with breathing and they can decompensate pretty quickly. So always be cognizant of that. Many of these patients are going to be obtunded. Let's be honest, definitely intoxicated, <laughs> right? And others are altered due to, you know, associated head injuries as well. What's crazy is that the GCS, if it's less than nine, about 10% of those have an incidence of a C-spine fracture. That's crazy. In this case, right? So that is, that's absolutely nuts. Patients with high cervical cord injuries, they might breathe poorly. They may require airway suction or intubation. This is a pearl you just need to know. A third of patients with cervical injuries need intubation within 24 hours. 
Let me repeat that again. A third of patients with cervical injuries need intubation within 24 hours. So really, airway management is very important. That was the correct answer on the, on the question. Remember, we said that choice C was intubation is commonly required in these patients. And it's common because it's like one-third of your patients are going to have to be intubated within 24 hours. That's insane. If you have to intubate RSI with inline spine immobilization is preferred when an airway is required. Man, Blake, we're, we're digging back memories here, right? Here we go. Now, you might remember a podcast we did on this years ago. I can't believe we've been doing this for years. 2018. Right. And I, I love the title here. It's called Crouching Resident Hidden C-Spine. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It was called Crouching Resident Hidden C-Spine. This is when it was one of our first podcasts. This is when we were using Apple, like, um, you, were, you were using Apple AirPods. Let's be okay, clear. all right, fine. I was using Apple AirPods because I never thought this thing would blow up the way it did. Okay, I'll be that's honest. Com- that's comforting. Okay. <laughs> somehow. Yeah, somehow, we're, great friend- we're great friends now. Somehow we became great friends and the podcast just became huge. Um, so <laughs> you should really check out that podcast if you want to hear suboptimal uh, audio, but they just want some nostalgia. But in short, look, you need to do video laryngoscopy on these patients, not direct DL. Um, you know, airway management can be difficult in these patients, obviously, because of the immobilization and some of the associated injuries they can have, especially some of the facial injuries uh, that they can present with as well. Hey, why can't we just keep the hard collar on, you know, when you intubate these patients? Oh, man, look, there's, there might be some folks that want to do that, but you know, you don't, it's suboptimal to keep the collar on and then remove it because you're thinking you need to trach the patient. (laughs) (laughs) That's one reason. Yeah. If you need to put a crack in, right? Like that's one reason, right? So like you're going to have limited grading view. Um, And one of the key things to remember, so if you've got, you know, maybe a fresh, you know, trauma resident or someone doesn't really know as much uh, or is experienced, you know, there's no defined extent of cervical spine movement known to no, be dangerous not. in no. different cervical spine injuries, right? You should obviously be cautious, obviously hold inline stabilization, get support to hold the C-spine. That's going to be critical, but you need to get a good view. And by keeping that collar on, it's really going to limit the view that you're going to be getting. Right, absolutely. So remember, weakness of the diaphragm and chest wall muscles that leads to impaired clearance of secretions, atelectasis hypoventilation. Hypoxia in these patients is critical to avoid. It's associated with you know, general just poor neurological outcomes. And these aren't patients that you just do the jaw thrust on and all of a sudden you, you know, bag them up really easily. Um, mm-hmm. it's gonna, you know, they're going to require a lot of suctioning um, and you know, if they're at that point, you're just going to get ready for intubation. Right. When it comes to the C part circulation, you know, the key thing here, and we kind of we're trying to throw you off here a little bit with some of the answer choices that we gave, spinal cord injury patients may present with hypotension. A lot of you guys might have thought, hey, neurogenic shock is one of the answer choices. Yes, that's true. But you should never assume it's just neurogenic shock. Interestingly, hemorrhagic shock is the most common cause of shock in all trauma patients. So, you know, blood loss from other injuries is still going to be your number one thing to rule out. Now, if you rule out hemorrhagic shock, then, you know, you can go towards neurogenic injury as being the cause of hypotension. And remember, 
Uh, there's blood pooling in the extremities because they have this lack of sympathetic tone from the spinal autonomic injury that they've sustained. Now, when we get to D, you know, ABCD disability part, until spinal injury has been ruled out, neck and body immobilization must be maintained using cervical collar and backboard at the scene. Athletic headgear should be left on. This is actually a really big deal. It's become a point of emphasis. You should not be removing right. that helmet. You should not be removing that helmet. You should, you know, if there are things that you need to access, I mean, it's gotten to the point even folks will, you know, in route, unscrew like the, you know, the face part of the helmet as well. Um, but you need to keep that on. Um, you know, backboards are not ideal. You know, they suck. But you're going to have to wait until you can, you know, safely log roll the patient off in the ED. You know, once in the ED, getting the patient off the backboard should occur at the end of the primary server and no later. You know, these can cause pressure ulcers, and obviously you don't want them there you know, while they're in the ED for a prolonged period of time. When it comes to pain on physical exam, you know, we always, I think I've done this now probably hundreds of times by now or thousands, it feels. But you, know, you do that log roll, you feel the back, you look for step-offs. I have yet to hear someone say, I feel a step-off. <laughs> me either (laughs) yeah to do it you know uh and so like really how helpful is this Uh, not really but you know we go through it i always assume there could be a spinal cord injury here patients with spinal injury often have brain and distracting systemic injuries honestly the the most key thing for me is i'm always visually looking making sure my view is not obstructed so i'm not missing anything silly i'm looking for signs of bruising some sort of penetrating injury that might otherwise get missed Hey, what do you think is more common um, in the world of rare things? Step off on a trauma exam or high riding prostate on a trauma exam? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like if somebody did the rectal and they're just like, yeah, that prostate's pretty enlarged. Uh, hey, put a note in uh, for the patient to follow up <laughs> with their urologist. Uh, hey, um, Blake, can you imagine that? Like add a PSA on to that, to that blood type. <laughs> That'd be the worst. You're like talking to the patient. You're like, sir, you do not have any internal emergency injuries. We're going to be able to send you home. However, PSLs are off the charts. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing you had that trauma because we caught your prostate cancer early. Good thing we pan scanned you. Can you imagine that story? Like a patient trying to explain, hey, how do they catch your prostate cancer so early? Well, you wouldn't believe it. I fell off my roof parkouring. <laughs> they did a rectal on me during the trauma. You know, that, that surgeon, that surgeon just felt up there. Felt like my prostate was large. Decided to send off a PSA with the rest of my blood work. That thing came back remarkably elevated. Come to find out, I go to my urologist and they say, hey, we caught this thing early complete recovery yeah hey dr briggs <laughs> yes. enough of these shenanigans hey a quick review of what to expect on the yeah. exam so we promise we're not going to cover dermatones uh half of spinal cord injuries that involve the cervical cord may present with quadriplegias mm. or quadriplegia which is yeah. awful it's terrible so we have two types of injuries in general complete and incomplete cord syndromes Complete injuries, of, of course, are going to be reduced sensation in the next caudal level, which otherwise is one level below the injury, right? 
and there's no sensation in levels below, including none in the sacral segments. Also, there's going to be reduced muscle strength in the level immediately below the injury, with complete paralysis below in the lower myotomes. Early on, you can expect absent reflexes, no response to plantar stimulation, and a flaccid tone. A male might have priapism, and urinary retention and bladder distension occur as well. For incomplete injuries, you could expect a wide range of presentations, right? And these are the much more common injuries we see. Sensation can be partly preserved in the dermatones below the area of injury, and usually sensation is preserved to a greater extent than motor function because sensory tracts are located in more peripheral, less vulnerable areas of the cord. So, Ildefot, why don't you give us the two highest yield cord syndromes? You just have to know. These two just come up a you lot. You need to know. These are central yeah. cord syndrome and anterior cord syndrome. Just need to know it. There's, you, know, you need to know probably for step two. Uh, you need to know it for your boards as well. And honestly, you should probably know it for life. So yep. central cord syndrome. It's the most common cord syndrome. Or Think girl. Old, there you go. Yeah, most common cord syndrome, central cord syndrome. Think older patients here with a hyperextension injury. That's what, yep, that's what they like to test about. The classic presentation is disproportionately greater motor and sensory impairment in upper compared to lower. So more in the upper compared to the lower. It can be you know pretty mild trauma that causes this as well. But remember, hyperextension, you know, classic presentation that we just talked about is the most common cord syndrome. So anterior cord syndrome, this is a hyperflexion injury, like the name implies. It spares the dorsal columns. And when we think about that spinal cord, think about, you know, step one. Like the name implies, it spares the dorsal columns more. Commonly, this is not just direct trauma, but due to an injury to the anterior spinal artery and not just trauma, such as a dissection. When this occurs in spinal injury, this is because of a direct injury to the anterior spinal cord by retropulse disc or bone fragments. Both sound awful. Terrible. Hey, Dr. Briggs, imaging. Hey, yeah, speaking of imaging, um, how often do you get cervical spine x-rays on trauma patients? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hey, uh, with that portable chest, you want to get that, uh, like a portable uh, cervical? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to rule out a cervical spine yeah. injury. Oh, my gosh. I had a patient transfer to me at, uh, from some unknown hospital um, in an undisclosed area of part of the country where I work that ends in AMA. And <laughs> <laughs> the patient got cervical spine x-rays, and I was looking at them, like, confused, like, why do they do this? Wait, what was going on? What? <laughs> is this a thing? Tell me why. Tell me why. I'm just confused. I don't get it. Anyway, don't worry. They cleared their collar. <laughs> so we put a new one on them. So anyway, cervical spine CT has replaced cervical x-rays. Just don't even bother getting them anymore. Um, you know, it's so funny because boards and like ATLS and whatever, you know, ABAM will constantly like mention cervical spine x-rays, almost like it's a holdover from like a prior era. Uh, don't even bother ordering them. Don't even think about ordering them. Just stop. CT cervical spine has replaced this, all right? The real question is, what about MRI? Well, let's settle that debate. CT should always come first. It's readily available at almost every shop now, and it provides a lot of important answers. 
it's going to show bony changes a lot better than MRI. There you go. Yep. And that's really important to show you, what did we say earlier, the most common cause of a spine injury is fracture and dislocation. So guess what? CT spine should come first. MRI definitely shows more detailed images of the spinal cord, as well as spinal ligaments, discs, paraspinal soft tissue, and it's much more sensitive for epidural hematoma. That's great. That's good news. But guess what? You get that after your CT scan. So on the boards, when they ask you, what's your next best step or what's the optimal test for this patient right now, CT is the right answer every single time. So MRI is really helpful in patients who have a negative CT but are suspected to have cord injury. And this is that classic nightmarish situation that every ER doc fears in their, when they get home at night. Sawara. Sawara, the movie. Spinal cord injury without radiographic abnormality. So I feel like I feel like we need like you know one of our favorite directors. Yes, we should. Trumpets. Christopher Nolan. For those who have not listened to the podcast before, yeah. uh, I, we know him by Chris, as yeah, uh, Blake likes Chris. to say. We, you know, he's a huge fan of the podcast. Yeah. Hopefully, he's listening to this episode. <laughs> it can find MRI can find occult ligamentous or disc injuries. In fact, in a systematic review of reported case series. 5% of those with negative CT who then had an MRI were found to have traumatic spine injury. Whoopsie. Importantly, in those cases, MRI is not perfectly sensitive to core damage in the early stages of injury. Again, all about follow-up. It doesn't really apply to us here because if the patient is concerning enough with their picture, they're going to be admitted anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Or you're going to transfer them to a trauma center. So let's, with the last time remaining here, clear up three things, and that's going to be spinal and neurogenic shock and then steroids. So Iltafat, tell us about spinal shock really fast. All right, we're on the home stretch here, Dr. Briggs. And it's been a long day for both of us doing clinical mm-hmm. shifts, but still giving the people what they want. Hey, spinal shock. Immediately after spinal cord injury, there can be physiologic loss of all cord function below the level of the injury. So think flaccid paralysis, anesthesia, absent bowel, and bladder control loss of reflexes. You know, and this is where in males, you'll see priapism start to develop as well. Always a bad sign. This may last several hours to several weeks, and sometimes is, is referred to as spinal shock. The key thing here is it's transient, so clinical manifestations may normalize, but are more usually replaced by spastic paresis, reflecting more severe morphologic injury to the spinal cord. So the difference between that and neurogenic shock is as follows. Neurogenic shock is much more hypotension and often bradycardia, and it's due to the damaged autonomic nerves causing decreased vascular resistance. We mentioned it earlier. It's that blood pooling in the extremities, poor sympathetic tone. Again, don't forget, these patients might have blood loss too from other injuries adding to the problem, right? If they had enough force to break a bone in their thoracic lumbar or cervical vertebra and damage their spinal cord, they can certainly have bowel injury and other significant problems, you know, rib fractures, hemothorax, etc. An adequate blood pressure is critical in maintaining adequate perfusion to the injured spinal cord. And this work comes into these quote-unquote MAP guidelines, as you'll often hear a neurosurgeon or a neurointensivist talk about or a trauma surgeon. And what's important here is that these you know, blood pressure guidelines are critical in maintaining perfusion to the injured spinal cord and limiting that secondary ischemic injury we talked about way at the beginning. So current guidelines recommend mean arterial pressures of at least 85 to 90 and using IV fluids, transfusion, and even vasopressors like norepinephrine to maintain this. So don't just shower these patients with a bunch of crystalloids alone. It's not going to help anything. 
Yep. Bradycardia can be treated with the usual pathways here. There's no difference here. Atropine, pacing, inotropic drips. It usually happens in very severe, high-level lesions like cervical C1 through C5. So last up here is going to be glucocorticoids. And we can summarize this in one sentence. Don't do it. <laughs> the evidence for use of steroids in acute spinal injury has, is really limited. And honestly, it's really unconvincing. They've really fallen out of favor. And I'm only going to just support my evidence by not citing evidence, but citing other societies. So the American Association of Neurological Surgeons, the Congress of Neurological Surgeons, the Canadian Association of Emergency Physicians, and, hey, shout out to our own here, American Academy of Emergency Medicine. All of them state that glucocorticoids should not be a treatment standard for spinal injury. Steroids have been associated with increased mortality in patients with moderate to severe traumatic brain injury. Well, we just said earlier, people with low GCS have spinal injury, right? So you could adversely hurt your patients by giving steroids if they have traumatic brain injury as well. So they shouldn't be administered. So in short, they're wrong on the test. They're wrong in real life. They're wrong on your boards. Don't ever do them. Yeah, it needs to be a really big thing, especially when yeah. I was in medical school, I remember. Oh, yeah. So long ago. You know, you're so yeah. old. <laughs> I'm uh, Iltafat Hussein, and oh, I'm Professor Emeritus. <laughs> hey, uh, let me take us out. Thank you. My voice, literally, I'm doing everything I can right now to, like, phonate the right way. Hey, so that's another Board Bomb Delivered. Thanks again for joining us. Remember on Twitter, at EM Board Bombs, also on Instagram. Hey, so you need to check out Rapid Board Bombs. You can go find our subscription at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. You can also go to our main website, emboardbombs.com, where you can easily sign up. You can check out the free samples we have of our podcast, see if the rapid bomb format is for you, and you can also do the titrate plan, as Iltafat mentioned earlier, a really easy way to try out our podcast and see if you like our format, which, honestly, we haven't had a single person stop their titrate plan, have we? No, we really haven't. It's been really cool to see no. that every time someone awesome. selects the ability to cancel uh, right away, uh, they just kind of stick on, so it's pretty awesome. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Let's take it out. It's been a pleasure doing this. To our listeners, thanks for the support. We've had a fantastic year. Wrapping up the Rapid Bombs podcast this year. It's just awesome rolling it out. And uh, really looking forward to the surprises we have next year. Yeah, we got a couple really cool surprises coming at the beginning of next year, especially for those that are studying for ITE and uh, getting ready to take boards and just drop more knowledge. We've got a couple of new things coming out early next year. As Blake mentioned, really appreciate everyone's support. It's been pretty overwhelming and just awesome. Uh, the number of folks that have checked out not just this podcast, but also the premium offering that we have as well. So just want to thank everyone uh, for their support. And Dr. Briggs, it's been a pleasure. can't believe it's been a couple of years now that you and I have been just rocking out doing this. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, hey, how often do you and Blake talk? said quite often, quite often. So when you said, uh, you know, we won't talk for the rest of the year, I'm pretty sure we will be texting about something random or sending they some will. random GIF. GIF or GIF, as the kids say? Whatever you, whatever you want to say. Uh, yeah, so we'll we have to plan our next adventure as well. Right, yeah, we're planning yeah. our next uh, adventure. We did Bama. It's going to be myself, you, and Joseph just rocking out again. Um, so it'll be fun, good times. All right, we'll catch you next time. <laughs>